Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. And today we're going to the west coast of Canada to talk to Chad Lehman, Director of Information of the Neil Squire Society. We're going to find out more about that in just a minute. But welcome, Chad, and tell us about your academic background. Thanks for having me, Peter. Yeah, I uh, I went to university for computer science, and about halfway through, I realized I didn't really want to sit in a cubicle punching code for all my life. And I was always doing English classes, and I had a summer job at the Neil Squire Society, and I had this really like, oh, I can use these tech skills in a way to sort of help people instead of write databases or video games and stuff like that. So I had a job of, uh, which really aligned well for me and the Neil Squire mission statement, which was to use technology to empower people with disabilities. So I had a early chance doing that, you know, it was uh, sort of turn of the millennium sort of time. So helping people get their first sort of email accounts and using, you know, ask Jeeves to find things on the internet. Uh, but yeah, I graduated uh, in 2003 and uh, I've done some other coursework along the way around like, e-learning and project management, but yeah, sort of a, a dual degree in uh, English and computer science. Okay, before you join Neil Squire, there must have been some other employment opportunities that you had. Uh, yeah, I, well, I was so Neil Squire, one of my first quote-unquote real jobs. Uh, I did work for uh, a ballet studio for a number of years, and I wrote a database for their whole, like, um, parent management and managing their kids and their invoicing and their fees and stuff like that. And it, that was part of the, like, it was good. And they were a great employer. I'm still close to that family, but it also made me realize if I write databases for 40 years, it's going to kill me. So I, I got to do something else to get a little more socially fulfilling for my work. <laughs> but yeah, I've been with Neil Squire Society for uh, over 20 years now. So what was the aha moment that got you into Neil Squire? Was it, somebody you knew with a disability or an organization? Uh, yeah, I do have a, a brother with a disability. So I've always had some sort of affinity to it. I remember doing like my grade five or grade six science fair project about spina bifida and what that is and what that means. But um, when I, I did that summer job, I continued to volunteer while I was fishing university. I certainly saw the sort of impacts in the, a term I realized as now, but didn't know it then, uh, the digital divide and how, you know, technology continues to change the way we all work and live and play and communicate. But if you don't have access to those tools because you don't have the financial means or you don't have the accessibility sort of pieces, then you're even further marginalized if you don't have the opportunities to use what everyone else is using. And, uh, you know, the sort of opportunity sort of see how I could, you know, We'd have people come in, they maybe been out of school for a number of years, maybe were part of residential schools. Uh, so to come in with a sort of fear of technology computers and sort of like break that down a little bit, get people using some technology for things that really own goals and how that really became a catalyst. Like, oh, I didn't think I could ever use these things. Now I'm, you know, video calling with family or, you know, sending pictures, looking at information on the internet. And that sort of realization, like, from that sort of, like, I don't think I can do this to the, oh, I can do this, and how it becomes a springboard to other things. And, um, you know, people that would go on to school or employment uh, and pieces like that. So to really see how you could try to help 
provide providing some um, fundamental sort of skills becomes a foundation for a lot of other greater opportunities for people. And this is very rewarding to sort of see people make that journey and uh, take back ownership and seize opportunities going forward. So for our listeners, Chad, tell us the Neil Squire story. What's the background? Sure. So uh, early 1980s, uh, this is right around the time, if you're in Canada, of uh, Terry Fox uh, running across Canada with cancer. Neil was actually in the rehab hospital with Terry. Uh, so Neil was in a car accident, and he broke his neck at the C1, C2 level. So right at the, sort of the base of the spine, the brainstem area, uh, making him a tetraplegic. He could still talk, but very much in a whisper and not if he had any sort of cough or cold. So here he had, uh, and you know, at the time he was a university student, um, had his injury, and he's in a hospital bed, sort of staring at the ceiling of his hospital bed. And it's all stabilized, but a family member, uh, Bill Cameron, who was an engineer, went and saw Neil and was a bit taken aback at how, you know, you have this life that was saved, but what is this quality of life going to be going forward? So he hired a couple of summer students. Uh, this is the early 80s, and they worked with Neil, and they took sip and puff technology, so you could sort of think if you had a straw, how you could sort of sip or puff on the straw, sort of blow bubbles or sip your drink. They used sort of sip and puff technology, and they connected it to a Morse code machine. So Neil, by sipping and puffing, became dots and dashes, and they wrote some software to connect it to what was then a state-of-the-art Apple IIe, one of the first generations of home computers. So Neil through just a straw, could fully control that Apple IIe computer. You could write letters, make documents, and it really sort of opened how technology could create new opportunities for people to go back to school and to work. So other people at the rehab hospital saw what was going to Neil, like, well, I don't maybe need a sip and puff system, but I want to learn computers. I might need a different way to sort of get information in or information out. And that's how the organization really started. So I went from this, you know, sort of summer project to like, well, there's a real demand here. And so it's starting to create a new, a nonprofit focused on empowering people with disabilities through technology, Neil Pass. So Neil is really, you know, client zero at Neil Squire. We're now 38 years later in the organization, almost 39, uh, served over 60,000 Canadians and really been growing a lot over the last few years. But I mean, a variety of programs, but really at the core of our organization is how technology can help remove barriers to people with disabilities so they can pursue their own goals. And Computer Comfort is one of those programs. Yeah, that's Tell really... about that. Yeah, that's really program number one at Neil Squire. Of, uh, there's a wide variety of programs, but Computer Comfort is really helping people with disabilities learn basic digital literacy skills. That might be just organizing their files on their computer, that might be how to use their smartphone. That might be, you know, my kids are on this TikTok thing, like help me figure out what this is and get comfortable with it. But it's really helping people with disabilities. They get matched with a, a tutor. Uh, they work one to two hours a week together on that person's learning goal. So what we have some curriculum and resources and activities people can do, they come in and they're like, I want to learn how to sign up for Netflix and get this set up. Great. This is your time to learn on your goals. And then we'll also try to make sure they have the accommodations they need to, to do that independently. So whether that's some assistive technology or other pieces. Uh, a lot of that is run by volunteers. We started delivering that program online um, early 20, 2008, 2009, because not all people with disabilities could come into one of our centers. 
Uh, so when COVID happened, we really saw, um, you know, everything went digital first and how much a digital divide is still there. Um, so we have a number of people that access from home. So they got a little shortcut on their desktop, you know, Peter's class, they double click it, the volunteers in there, they share the screen and work on their goals. So it's really a free program that helps people with disabilities learn the digital literacy skills that are important to them. So if some of our listeners have a disability, how do, how do they get onto that program? Yeah, I mean, and we'll talk probably about a variety of programs here at Neil Squire. So if anything tweaks anyone's interest, you can go to neilsquire.ca or send an email to info at neilsquire.ca and then they'll direct it to the program manager for whatever program best fits for people. And if it's just like, here's like what I'm trying to do, we can sort of sort that and figure out like what suite of services that Neil Squire would best help that person. Okay. You have other offices other than uh, British Columbia. Those yes. Where sir. you're located. Yeah. So I would say we have sort of five major offices, but a number of other smaller learning sites through, uh, throughout Canada. So our major offices, uh, Burnaby, BC is our head office where our R&D team is situated as well, as well as our national management. Um, and we run a number of programs out of there. Um, Regina, Saskatchewan uh, has an office. We have an office in Ottawa. And in the Maritimes, our two major offices are Fredericton and Moncton. But I don't want to discount the many strong armies of one or two in smaller communities throughout Canada. We have five people now in Alberta, a person in Edmonton, a couple people in Winnipeg, um, almost every small hamlet in Charlotte throughout uh, the Maritimes, uh, including uh, a couple staff now in Halifax, uh, so Nova Scotia and throughout New Brunswick. So we really are a national organization now with uh, staff distributed out, but those sort of core regional offices are Burnaby, Regina, Ottawa, and Fredericton. Are you uh, multilingual? I personally am not. Other smarter people on my team do speak French. We do, especially in the Maritimes, uh, Moncton uh, deliver services in both languages. And we have some pilots with some uh, First Nation bands as well on the Quebec side of the border. It's happening right now. Okay. So having said that, tell me about your team a little bit at Neil Square. What, a president or executive director? Sure, yeah. So uh, when I was telling that story about Neil and the family member, Bill Cameron, that helped him, one of the students that worked with him at that time was uh, Gary Birch, who has been with the organization since it was even a real organization. And so he has been executive director for over 30 years now. I believe that was 1991 or 1992. Uh, he lives with a spinal cord injury. So very he was going to, to start school for electrical engineering had his disability did go back to school has done his doctorate and brain computer research and led the organization for over 30 years um but he's a person with disability our executive team is rounded up with greg pick also a person with spinal cord injury and uh ranchin kumar uh our uh director of finance so um half our board of directors are also people with disabilities so I think that's really important to be sort of led by the community that we're served. Um, our staff team, a uh, recent survey sort of showed over 30% of the staff also have some sort of disability. And there's always issues around disclosure and stuff like that as well. Um, I would say, you know, we have about 130 people across Canada now, so a variety of different job titles, but major sort of 
areas of skilled labor that we have on our team. We have a lot of people that help people with disabilities get back into the workforce. So career facilitators, job developers, job coaches, program managers, really trying to help people get into the workforce, as well as a number of occupational therapists and assistive technology experts to really help people figure out what accommodations will best accommodate their disability needs so they can be successful in school, work, and in their communities as well. Finally, we do have some engineers on our team, uh, part of our research and development side of the organization that help make uh, different assistive technologies as well. Okay. Talk about the importance of partnerships to Neil Squire. Sure, yeah. So Neil Squire, uh, it comes right back to the logo. So this is the podcast. I'm going to try to explain something visual. So my apologies for that. But the Neil Squire uh, logo looks like a gear with five different colors. And those are the sort of five areas of competence in the organization. So digital literacy, employment, assistive technology, innovation, which love our R&D work. But the fifth color is yellow, and that's our collaboration. And that's really important. Um, it's so important that we, you know, we made that part of our core identity. All of our work is really possible through our partners. Those can be external funding partners like government or corporations to help provide revenue. Uh, but sometimes even more importantly, or other, or other community stakeholders, employers helping people hire people with disabilities, schools helping train uh, the participants to access our services. Also, many schools volunteer and help support our services as well. Um, we're partners with over a dozen chambers of commerce or boards of trades throughout Canada to really help us spread the information about our programs and help people find employment and stuff. So we certainly do not work in a vacuum. Uh, we had over a thousand volunteers last year through the organization, and that's really made possible and really scales our impact through our network of volunteers and partners across Canada. Okay, because you're on the creative side, I want to ask you where you think the organization will be at three years from today. Yeah, uh, you know, there's, you know, two ways you can sort of look at that coin and I look at it. The organization has grown a heck of a lot over the last three years over COVID. We are now serving over twice as many people as we were just three years ago. So if we could just sustain that revenue and that massive growth we've gone through, that's a huge win for me. But the trajectory we're seeing is increased sort of demand. Um, you know, there was always talks like one day we're not going to need these digital literacy programs. People will have the skills they need. It will be commonplace. That is not what we've seen. We've seen a continued rapid uh, iterations of technology and things coming out and that digital divide, that sort of yo-yo effect. An example of that is, you know, when iPhones and smartphones came out, you know, 2007 became more sort of massly used, sort of 2009, 2010. There was not a lot of assistive technology that interfaced with it, and that came later. So I think, the, and these are things we've seen again, um, you know, over the last few years, uh, different video game companies have put out adaptive controllers so you can use assistive technology with it. And this is great. And these things are starting to become a little more knowledgeable and commonplace, but video gaming has been around for like 30 years. And now this assistive technology is just starting to really take hold. So I think we'll always see this iteration in new technology, a gap between people's technology and us trying to fit it. So trends that I'm looking at that I think are real opportunities, there's lots to still do around adaptive video gaming, you know, get video gaming, whether you play or not, did more revenue the last three years than any movie theater or a major media company. So it's a huge opportunity. And I think lots of opportunities for better inclusion, people with disabilities. 
you know, AI seems to be a very buzzworthy sort of thing. I think there's real opportunities for applications of assistive technology to be smarter and help people uh, be more included as well. Um, and we're seeing real growth still in our employment sort of programming. You know, there's this fear of, you know, like right now, we're seeing big labor crunches in the labor market and, you know, mass retiring of baby boomers. Where are we going to find these skilled workers? Over half the people with disabilities in Canada have a universe, some university education and are unemployed. So there's a huge trained, skilled workforce sitting in our backyard and may take some accommodation, maybe the flexibility work schedules. I think we've seen over COVID that remote work can work for people and that by accommodating people and meet their needs, you can really unlock the potential of people. So I think we'll continue to see demands uh, by employers looking for skilled people. And I think people with disabilities are really able to, to fill that gap. A couple of interesting facts to throw out. 22% of Canadians have a disability. And another interesting fact, when you take into account family and friends, that number goes up to 54%. Shows a huge market from a business perspective. Another interesting one is a little company called Amazon, where 30% of their employees have a disability. But the key factor here is only 3.7% will acknowledge that they have a disability. I'll let management be aware of it. So another thing I want to throw out and get your reaction to, many governments and corporations have a disability policy, which may or may not be current. And then when you try to dig deep and find out who's responsible and what actions are they taking. That's extremely difficult. Are you finding that? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, yeah, I, I try to remain optimistic, but I certainly think a lot of people with disabilities may have seen equity statements and job ads and job postings and then have gone for interviews on the second they realize when they come in with a wheelchair or a service dog that the, just the mood in the room instantly changes right and it, that is what they're seeing they're not seeing the potentials of the person they're seeing the sort of first take oh this is gonna be way too hard um so i still think there's a lot of work to be done i'm, I'm encouraged by some of the <clears throat> you know uh equity diversity inclusion work that's going on and really trying to organizations take that more holistic work and we should represent the communities we serve. Um, I would say that some disability has not maybe made it into that sort of spectrum of places. There may be, you know, trying to s new immigrants or people of different uh, ethnic backgrounds have been piece. Obviously a lot of work around, um, you know, inclusion of women and opportunities. And I don't think any of those are probably where people like it, but I'm not seeing accessibility always be, on the same sort of pillar as some of these other equity seeking groups and sort of inclusion and pieces. So I still think there's a long way to go. Um, there are initiatives in doing that, but I don't think the, you're going to turn the Titanic quickly. You know, I would say we're itching maybe the, the right direction. Um, and there are some forward thinking companies that, you know, have leaned into these sort of opportunities, but I still think there's a long way to go. Uh, you know, like people with disabilities in the 1980s, primarily when you had your disability, you were institutionalized. You know, the community living movement, you know, really started late 70s and 80s. So it seems like a long time ago. 
but that's just a couple generations, you know, it's only 40 years. So I think we've come a long way, but we have a lot longer history of those things not being looked at like the possibility of people. And that's why I like to sometimes tie the story back to, you know, Neil or Terry Fox, because there are people that I think sometimes there's things that sort of change people's perspective of what people actually are able to do and capable to do. Um, but I still think we got a ways to go. There's a champion in Toronto who is in a wheelchair, and she runs an organization called Access Now. And what they do, she has about 12 employees. What they do is they go up and down the street and they evaluate each building in terms of accessible, somewhat accessible, or not accessible. And she flew to a conference in yeah. Israel and her wheelchair was smashed by Air Canada. So she's in a lawsuit right now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Maya, and I've met her. She's a very smart, capable young person. And uh, I'm very sorry this happened to her, but also it seems to be a bit of an impetus has actually generated some awareness and attention because her story is not unique, uh, especially people with power wheelchairs. And, you know, like people in power wheelchairs uh, have been able to drive vehicles, you know, get them on the planes. Seems like there's lots of possibility here, whether that's a row of seats removed, people can click in. Again, almost one of four Canadians now have a disability. It's an aging population that's going to make disability more common. When you get to your 60s, you're more likely to have a disability. 70s is almost guaranteed you're going to have some sort of disability. So, um, no, what she went through is terrible, uh, but she, her story is sadly not unique in terms of the damage of uh, her power wheelchair. And I don't think people get it. It's not like, well, just put her in another wheelchair. Like the foam, the seating, the control mechanisms, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Those are 10,000 plus dollar machines. Um, they're fit by experts to people in their body and combinations. And when you ruin that, that's taken away their independence. Um, and a part of their identity really for weeks, months, you know, you're on a wait list because they're done. I saw one family that, you know, a person, they had their power wheelchair work and they're offered a hundred dollar flight voucher. Like what salt in the woods? <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Absolutely. Well, it, it, it's just interesting. In spite of that, though, there's an organization in the Toronto area that runs called Ability Online. So they'll put the DIS in brackets. And it's a national organization as well, which is kind of cool. But, Chad, we're running short of time. I want, don't want to forget the uh, website and how to connect with the organization. Sure, yeah. So uh, the website is neilsquire.ca. So Neil's N-E-I-L, like the name Neil, as opposed to kneeling. Uh, and the squire is S-Q-U-I-R-E, neilsquire.ca. And we provide services uh, to employers on a fee-for-service basis that they need help accommodating. But we also run many provincial programs that can help cover the cost of accommodations. But if someone listening to this is looking for help in finding employment, increasing their computer skills, or figuring out like what technology I need to help address barriers I face, 
they should definitely shoot us an email, info at, or browse through the website, and uh, we'd be happy to help. That's our mission. We're on track to serve over 9,000 Canadians with disabilities this year. So sometimes I find the hardest thing is saying, like, or is, you know, counter terms of I have a disability or I need help. There's no judgment here. There's no medical forms. There's no doctor's note that's got to prove it. It's all self-disclosed. So if you have some sort of barrier, if you like the word barrier better, that's prohibiting you from doing the things you want, um, please reach out.